If life is a puzzle, look here for the missing piece. You've seen those kitschy little statements on church uh, drive-by signs, right? A lot of those are still in the east, some in the Midwest, uh, not so much here on the West Coast anymore. But uh, this was on one of those placards and says, if life is a puzzle, look here for the missing piece, P-E-A-C-E. I would say this, the church does have some peace, but I think it's not without irony that much of what is written in the New Testament speaks to the idea that the church is not unified when it should be, that the church struggles when it shouldn't be, because our eyes are not on the author and perfecter of our faith. Our eyes are on our own selfish ambitions, and so sometimes we look a whole lot more like the world around us than we do Christ. And so this message is profound today as we continue going through the Beatitudes and we are knocking on the door of verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let me ask you a question. What are you known for? What are you known for? Are you known for your incredible sense of humor? Are you known for your ability to bake a cake? Are you known for raising cattle? Are you known for really good-looking knees? Right? Now, not a lot of people think about that, but when you find someone who's got good-looking knees, it's a rare thing. A lot of people have those camel knees, you know? A lot of people, a lot, a lot of individuals won't, won't come here in shorts. A lot of people, I, I look, being a sufferer from knee injuries multiple times, I can look at a knee from 20 paces and say, oh, look at that ligament structure. That's ah, a good pair of knees. What are you known for? I have a, a, a very good friend, and we met in high school. And I would tell you that this friend of mine is known as a peacemaker. I witnessed on several occasions where he made the lion lie down with the lamb. I remember distinctly at my school, uh, you know, back when we had to walk five miles through the snow, all that stuff, right? Uh, At my school, we had these different groups of people. We had those that were what we called the Aggies. And I hope I don't offend anybody. I'm just just telling you the the story. It's the reality of the mid-80s. And so we had the Aggies. We had the surf wall, we had the jock wall where all the jocks would hang out, and then we had like two or three other areas um, where they had their own identity, they had their own nomenclature, right? And so you never stepped on one of those walls if you belonged to another group, or there would be a war. And I watched that happen with somebody, we were hanging out on the back of what was called the jock wall, my friend and I, and An individual walked by, and uh, he ended up bumping into somebody from another group and made them bump into somebody from another, and and now we've got a war going on for no particular reason. And my friend realized what he had done coincidentally, and he felt responsible. I've never seen something so masterfully put together, but within 30 seconds— you would have thought they were all going out for pizza and beer afterwards. 
Now, that wouldn't have worked really well being in high school, but I, he made the lion lie down with the lamb. He just has an innate ability to be a peacemaker. What are you known for? Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We'll get into defining all of that in, in a short while, but I want to share something with you in my studies that I take from the MacArthur commentary. And here's the question, why peace has always been elusive? It's always been elusive because of sin. It's always been elusive because of sin. When God created the heavens and the earth, when he created the garden, when he created man, when he created creation, it was in harmony. It was operating beautifully. But when one individual saw that which they wanted, and yet it was not good for them, they simply wanted what they could not have. And peace was destroyed because of that one action. Until Jesus. Listen to this carefully, and then we're going to contrast this with the concept of being blessed right the idea that that peace is interrupted because i see something i cannot have and therefore self-inflicted wound okay i now have given my peace away simply by my own desires and now i am not blessed we'll look at some paramount scripture that speaks to that in a minute but listen to what uh uh, this, this profound piece of information says in relation to peace, the scarcity of peace has prompted someone to suggest, now listen to this, this is great, has prompted someone to suggest that peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Think about that. Think about all the wars that have happened. Think about the feigned talk of peace. Think about the history of mankind. Think about Jesus on the cross. Think about the violence of it all. Think about the destruction of it all. And yet it is interspersed with these moments of what? Peace. I think this is tremendously powerful to think through how futile the pursuit of peace actually is outside of Jesus Christ. Because history, my friends, is working against us. Peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a battlefield or if we're talking about your living room. Listen to these statistics. In 1968, a major newspaper reported that there had been, to that date, 14,533 known wars since 36 years before Christ. Since 1945, there have been some 70 or so wars and nearly 200 internationally significant outbreaks of violence. Since 1958, nearly 100 nations have been involved in some form of armed conflict. 
that doesn't begin to talk about what's going on within households. It doesn't begin to talk about the desperate situation for the church around the world. It doesn't begin to talk about the selfishness and the abuse that happens in the workplace, in the school, in our neighborhoods, and in our country. Our news and our channels and our social media is plastered with images of violence right now. So with that bright moment, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. I guess I need to tease this a little bit and say, well, why would you want to be called the sons of God? Why not just embrace the violence? Right? Why not just grab hold of the violence? Because I, I don't know what this sons of God thing is. Well, then that's on me. I need to tell you what that means and why it's worth attaining, or at least the pursuit of. So let's give some definition to what we're talking about. Let's start with blessed. Right? We do this every single week with this service or, or with this series. So blessed is this idea when you look at what Jesus is saying of overwhelming contentedness regardless of your circumstances. Again, it is overwhelming contentedness. What's in that word contentedness? It's the idea not just of peace, but it's satisfaction. Right? Remember what we see and what we'll see in a moment out of James 4 where he nails down why we struggle with peace. Contentedness is me being satisfied in an overwhelming sense with whatever it is God has for me, whether good or bad. And so let me finish the, the definition. Overwhelming contentedness regardless of your circumstances. That's what it means to be blessed. How many of us would love that? Regardless of what the challenges are in the day, regardless of how tired we are, or how little we make, or how unloved we feel, or how disrespected we sense, how hopeless our situation is sometimes, oh, that we could be blessed in the middle of that. Now that is worth pursuing, is it not? And understand that the Beatitudes are Jesus' promise. There's a promise or reward. There's the condition to attain the reward. And then there is more reward. So what does peacemaker mean? This, this is kind of funny. It's intentional pacification. It's intentional pacification. And I come from the school of... of uh, growing up, and, and we got two things on TV at dinner time, or, or just before dinner time. One was Walter Cron Cronkite doing the news, and, and nobody remembers that, right? I vaguely remember Walter Cronkite doing the news. It's back when news was news. My dad was a Star Trek fan, and so we had to watch Star Trek for a half hour, and then we got to watch the Brady Bunch which made Star Trek worth it. But I always remember, whenever there was a conflict and it started to escalate and it got much bigger than Captain Kirk could handle, Spock would just walk up and just... It was like a Spock hug. Don't really know what he did there, but he just kind of... And the person just kind of melted, right? That's my idea of this Greek word of intentional pacification. It's like Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, 
You will let the droid go. Oh, sure, I'll do whatever you want. Right? And so I want you to get this picture that there is a power that God uses through the individual, his servant, his child, that goes beyond what we can do. And when we see God work through us in the middle of a conflict or a a tenuous situation, that what God does not only emboldens us and blesses us, but it helps protect our own hearts from the things that steal our peace away. So a peacemaker is an intentional pacifier. And sons of God. So what is sons of God? That, that, that sounds, um, it almost sounds a little cultish a little bit, right? You know, sons of God. It, you know, it, we're going to reference Isaiah um, here in a little bit. And you'll hear some titleage that we often hear uh, out of chapter 9 around Christmas time. This is a little bit of a parallelism to that. That wonderful counselor, prince of what? Prince of peace, mighty God, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, right? This is title language, and this is exactly what Jesus does in this blessing or in this beatitude is he is giving those who intentionally pursue being a peacemaker. Now, there's a difference here, folks. It's not a lover of peace. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who institutes, cultivates peace. It's very different. It's very different. Someone who strives to develop peace in the midst of a conflict. It's very different. And so we will look to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, to see that perfect example so we know how to follow in that pathway. So the sons of God is simply a position of honor. Just like Isaiah 9 was giving honor to the Messiah, Jesus is now saying, in the same fashion, I bestow upon you the citizenry of heaven. You will be called if you you actively pursue being a peacemaker like I am, you will be blessed and you will receive an inheritance of heaven. You will be in the citizenry of heaven. You will be in the lineage of the family of God. It's an inheritance. It's a position of honor. It's privilege. Being a peacemaker isn't natural in context to who we are. Right? Remember earlier I asked you, how would people describe you? Who are you? Have you ever been described as a peacemaker? There are a few rare individuals. Right? There are a few rare individuals. And so this is a little bit challenging for us. Again, Jesus hands us something that's ironically difficult to handle in the midst of tension or in the midst of conflict or in the midst of sin, and yet We pine for peace. We desperately speak about it as something that that is a trophy, only to be looked upon, rarely to be won. And yet we desperately, desperately want it. And you may say, well, well, Pastor, what, what, what exactly does that mean? Think about how badly you want to go on vacation. You want to escape from a bunch of things in your life, don't you? You want to get away from all those tensions and difficulties. 
It's one thing to seek peace. It's another thing to promote peace. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So being a peacemaker isn't a natural extension of who we are. We have to be intentional about it. We need to look to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. It's the idea of intervention and battle against the malevolence of the world around us. It's still hot in here, even though we do have the air conditioner on. It's a concern for righteousness. It's a concern for others. It's the idea of of saying Christ is more than oneself. It's not an unhealthy, codependent avoidance of conflict. Right? I mean, we, we should camp out here for a minute. Because there's a big difference between the person who's at the table and something awkward is said, and you can feel the tension coming. And so somebody says, oh, how about those mashed potatoes? Aren't they? Aunt Mabel, you really hit it out of the park with those mashed potatoes. Sound a little bit like Barney Fife there. And, and so it's not that person. Folks, we're not talking about an unhealthy codependency. It is someone who sees the evilness that is stripping away from us that which God intended. And we will not rest until we put down that evil, speak in the face of a truth, make it come underneath the light, is exposed for what it is, so people can move on in harmony. So next time at that dinner table, tell the person, leave. No, don't. Don't do that. It's complicated. It's extremely complicated on what it means to be a peacemaker. I'll give you a little hint. The peacemaker doesn't invite that person for Thanksgiving without coaching the entire team and coaching that person, look, for the sake of peace, we're going to do this, 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 and this. All right? And Aunt Mabel is bringing her mashed potatoes, and don't you say a word about them. Right? you got to be proactive if you're going to be a peacemaker. Write that down. So it's not an unhealthy codependence or codependent avoidance of conflict. It's a well-thought-out, prayed-up, wisdom-dripping, calculated strike of clarity towards something greater or a call to irrevocable deniability of self. Why do we struggle with peace? Well, let's get to it, James 4. James calculates it perfectly. He pontificates it wonderfully. And we're going to listen judiciously. What causes... Uh, chapter 4 of James, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Because <laughs> uh, my baseball team stinks. Right? Folks, we're not talking about mundane things like that. And, and, and if, if you're struggling because of things you put into your own life that strip you of your peace, you got to deal with We'll get to that. He gets much more serious about here. What? causes the quarrels and what causes the fights among you if you're going to be a peacemaker you got to be proactive that means you've got to start looking at those things that steal away peace from people around you or yourself then you've got to ask yourself how do i deal with it well james hits it right between the eyes he says is it not this that your passions are at war within you You desire and do not have, so you what? You murder. 
Peace is done. It's over. How many wars have been fought? Why? Just because somebody wanted something somebody else had. We're a helpless, hapless, hopeless people. Except for Christ. And James hits it on the head. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. James is nailing it on the head here. He's saying, you're asking because of lust. How many things am I so concerned about? I mean, just in a very mundane way. We just moved houses and we're trying to get things situated. We got way more stuff than we need. And we can't figure out why that's happening. It's like fishes and loaves with junk. And, uh, and I keep making trips to the, to the <clears throat> what's that place? The junk pile, the big junk pile in the sky. The dump, yeah. This smells great there. A lot of peace. Pieces of trash everywhere. And yet, here I am throwing away all this stuff. And what am I doing? I'm shopping for chairs. Go figure. And I got a great deal lined up from a local neighborhood because I buy everything secondhand off of, off of a, a, a place. I know a guy. And uh, <clears throat> I had these great chairs. They were exactly what I was looking for. And they were so cheap. And I got on like nine minutes after they posted it. I was like, yes, this is great. I waited. I've been, I've been holy. I've been holy. The Lord rewarded me for my holiness. I'm going to get these chairs. This is going to be great. And I never heard back. I never heard, And we're at dinner last night. Bing! My phone goes off. I sold them to someone else. No! I can't believe that! I got there first. I, those were my chairs. Peace is gone. My peace is gone because I want something. I lust after something. I covet something. Right? Now, I'm a pastor, and I'm struggling with that stuff. We pastors say that stuff all the time. Does this not sound like reality? But let's, let's look a little bit deeper because there's a lot at stake here. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, you know, tension with God, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us? He wants our attention. He wants to bless us. He's giving us the promise, and yet we keep going after things that we lust after, that we covet after, that we don't have the power to attain, and we self-inflict this idea of stripping peace away from our life that God promises. This is our problem. And you should read through the rest of that all the way to 10. I don't have time right now, but I encourage you, um, do that of your own volition. What do we struggle with, or why do we struggle with peace? So when we think about our own opinions, we think about our selfishness, Nothing more prevalent than the COVID controversy, right? We have so many different opinions. We have so many angry people. We have so much confusion about all of this. 
We have people talking about how dare you want to go down a road and, and ignore the people that are dying. We have people that say, uh, when you take all the amount of deaths that have happened, it, it only equates to such and such and such and such of the, of the population. You need to grow up. There are more people dying from the shadow of COVID than who are actually, and we are doing this, and there is no peace over this situation. So what do you have to do to be a peacemaker? Within our church, we have to face this. Because there's a grand comparison going on within churches right now, my friends. We get behind and we yell for the people that, that support our position. And that pastor is holy or those elders are holy and they're right with God. But the ones that go the different direction of what we want, uh, you need to leave that church. I've heard it with my own words. How is that what Jesus prayed for in John 17? Let me tell you what our church is concerned about. Not getting distracted. You know what COVID presents to us? It presents an opportunity for us to share the peace of Jesus Christ in the midst of chaos. And I can hear your amens from here. That's what this church will choose to focus on, not controversy. Because this tells us to avoid foolish controversy. If I heard more about people being built into the kingdom than I heard about the controversy of heralding the person that holds my view or dissuading the people that aren't stepping up or, or the pastors and churches that are kissing the ring of the governor, we are so easily distracted. Why do we struggle with peace? Oh, let's just throw out a little pandemic. Let's throw out a little pandemic and, and it'll throw these people right off. What about politics? See, you thought I was going to go easy with the COVID thing. Let's just get into politics because we're going to be fully wrecked in four months. Churches, nobody's going to go to church anymore. People are going to shoot each other right in the middle of the street. You know, actually, I saw that somebody pass that video around. There's a guy out of Kentucky that was prophesying uh, that, that there was going to be, like, people that died this year. And he prophesied that there would be violence because of that. And then he prophesied that there was going to be violence around the election. And every time... He told us what he saw in a vision. He said, but I'm not a prophet. I don't have that gift of prophecy. And I, I don't know the person, and I, don't know, I really don't know what, what they're saying, but the concept and the idea of what we're talking about, how many of us have, have said or we've heard 2020? Yeah, one for the ages, right? Where is the peace? I encourage you. We have such an opportunity to hold up what Scripture says. Remember what Jesus said to Pilate. You have no authority other than that which is given to you from my Father above. I choose to live in a theocracy. I choose to have peace in my life free from COVID, free from politics, because I know where I'm going and because I know the promises of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I, ch I choose not to surrender my peace over to those distractions. I encourage you to do the same. It's possible. Is it possible? 
not rhetorical. There's seven people in the room. They could say amen. Or whatever. Anyway. Okay, thank you. Maybe it's not possible. What about church scrutiny? Well, I, I, I kind of talked about that already. We do comparison games, personal preference, elevation of personalities, twisting scripture for our advantage. The church should never be at peace with man, but struggle with every fiber to be at peace with God. You know how you find out if you're at peace with God? You learn this. You get proactive about being a peacemaker. So that you're prepared in season and out of season for whatever circumstance is heading our direction. That yes, you don't choose to avoid, you, you don't choose an unhealthy process of avoidance or a dysfunctional codependency in our society and the world. No. What, is, what does Paul say and what does Jesus say? We're a city on a hill. We're a light not under a stand. We're salt that doesn't lose its saltiness. We are being given an opportunity over these next four to five months to shine so brightly that you can, through being a peacemaker, change the world around you because of Christ. Not because of you, but because of Christ. So how do we do this? Well, here's a biblical diet for becoming a peacemaker. Write this down because we're going to go fast. Number one, fix your eyes on the example of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith and run the race marked before you, right? Understand the heavenly title given to Jesus and and, and how it sets the tone for credibility. We talked about that a little bit already, right? Out of Isaiah 9. And so Jesus was given these these, uh, illustrative titles in prophecy and yet he talks about how he'll share some of that title with us as sons of God. We have our citizenship in heaven. Jesus didn't get immersed in the details around him. He had peace. He laid down in the back of the boat while the disciples were screaming in panic. You know what's great? I want to be the guy that's just sitting there with his elbow on the bow, getting slapped in the face with the waves, almost, you know, Whistling. Whistling some Bob Dylan song. Right? And and all the other disciples looking at me like, what is wrong with that guy? Doesn't he know we're going to die? No, because I know that what Jesus is doing, because he's the son of God, he hasn't done yet. So if I think, if I'm a proactive peacemaker, I know we're going to survive. Brothers and sisters, not only will we survive, but we will be given heavenly peace for eternity. That's the answer. Remember, we are by nature a selfish and brash people who want what we cannot have. Deal with this. If you want a biblical diet for becoming a peacemaker, we've got to start dealing with that part of us that yearns for what we cannot have. Focus on the things that God gives to us, those things that are good, those things that are righteous, and bathe yourself in them. Remember, peace is not always the goal. What? What is he saying? This is Jesus explicitly says, and, and in a... <clears throat> pronounced 
uh, verbiage is actually an adjective, but the, the whole statement is not written in a passive tone. He's saying, you need to be this. And what? A peacemaker. And yet, I tell you that it's not all about peace. You have to have balance with these beatitudes. Why do I say that? Because Jesus himself <clears throat> tells us that it's not always about peace. He says in Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace. Let me start that over again. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Y'all raising your hand saying, I was here in Christmas time, man. You did that whole thing, you know, uh, the advent, the peace, you know, and you talked about Isaiah uh, 9, Prince of Peace. And, and then you talked about how the angel said, you know, uh, it, here comes peace through Jesus Christ, the Son? Yes. Ultimately, he creates the avenue to God and peace with God, redemption through God. That's the peace that he brought. But that peace came in a very expensive price, and it even comes at an expensive price today. Many of you are estranged from family members or friends because of the choice to follow Jesus Christ. That is exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it's going to cost you something. He says, do you not think I've come to bring peace to the earth? I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. So it's not always about peace in the context of what kingdom goals are. Next, know that we are blinded by our own lust, forfeiting peace. Luke 19, 41 through 42. Jesus is up on the hillside and he looks over Jerusalem and he says this. And when he drew near and saw the city and wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Our own lusts, our own desires, our own covetousness blinds us to the peace that Jesus affords. How do you see it? Well, number one, be a peacemaker. I can't tell you how often I hear that people see Jesus in other people's behavior. It's a great song written by <clears throat> Michael Bean, uh, lead singer of a group from the late 80s, early 90s called The Call. And it, it's titled, What Happened to You? And I love it because I love The Call, and Bono actually sings um, backup on it. And it's this idea of what happened to you. I knew who you were. You were this, and now you're that. What happened to you? What kind of peace entered your life? I don't know what happened. Oh, but I like what I see. What a powerful idea. And this is how people see Jesus Christ. Often. This is why Jesus is saying, this is why Jesus came to earth to demonstrate that peace, but also that he might effectively work that in our lives. So people say, what is it? That's happening in you. What is it in this madness of COVID? What is it when, when, when the craziness of the election starts coming and you have joy and peace in your life? How can you have that? Really? You want to know? Give me 10 bucks. I'll tell no, don't do that. That's getting a piece of... No, I'm just kidding. 
No, you talk about Jesus being that peace inside of you and how that works, and you're afforded an instant opportunity to help people know. But you've got to know, if you're going to be smart, if you're going to be proactive as a peacemaker, you've got to be smart enough to understand that we're blinded by our own lust. Next, the peace of God transcends the temporary timeout to reload. Did you catch that? The peace of God transcends the temporary timeout to reload. John 14, 27. Jesus says this when he gives the promise to the disciples of the Holy Spirit. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Believers in Jesus Christ, you get your peace through the interaction of the Word of God, number one, and then the Holy Spirit guiding you in that. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's what it means to know the peace of Jesus Christ and to promote that peace. The last thing that I can give to you in context to this diet of becoming a biblical peacemaker is out of Romans 12, 18 through 21. And I flew through those seven or eight ideas pretty quickly. Now I'm really going to fly. And it talks about the idea that love needs to be sincere. You want to be a peacemaker? You can't be fake. Right? People are looking for authenticity all over the place. You got to be real. And by the way, this passage is specifically to a church that was fragmented. They were fighting each other. There was no peace. And so he spends 11 chapters talking about get your eyes focused on the author and perfecter of your faith. Come together over that so your opinions mean nothing. It's only about the righteousness of God. Then he says, and this is how you practice this pragmatically. You've got to be sincere in your love. You've got to hate evil. You've got to cling to what is good. Right? You've got to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. One of the biggest challenges, I get, I'm going to say it, to this little tiny black box I'm looking at right now, but I know you're on the other end of it. One of the biggest challenges for pastors is that we are, we are praying desperately that our flock is still devoted to Christ and to one another. That will be one of the repercussions of the enemy's efforts here is to fragment and dissolve the church. And we will find out how strong the church is and what their desire for the Lord is and what their desire for fellowship is. It doesn't help that we weren't able to gather together tonight, but a time is coming. A time is coming. And so I implore you, pursue Him. Don't let the troubles overtake you and be a peacemaker, not just a peacetaker. Let me wrap up. If you continue through that, he gives a list of things that you can do. Hopeful in prayer, patience in endurance, or patience in affliction, um, uh, honoring one another above yourselves, practicing hospitality, be willing to associate with those of low position. And then he gets to the end, and he says this. It's very interesting. He says, as far as it is possible with you, be at peace with everyone and then he gives this little diagram of don't take revenge let the lord do it 
Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it means to be a peacemaker rather than just a peacetaker. As much as it is possible with you, not every situation is going to allow for peace. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Jesus didn't always have peaceful moments. So that's why Paul says, as much as it is possible, be at peace with everyone. So be careful what you say. Think through it ahead of time. Only say that which is good for the edification of building up. And we'll bring peace into our lives. Matthew 5, 45. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. This morning, or this evening, my question to you in context of this idea of being a peacemaker, <clears throat> it's a difficult thing. But rather than just being a peacemaker, if you, if you catapult yourself or the Lord catapults you on this road of being a peacemaker, you'll find how hard that is, but you'll reap the benefits and you will be blessed. Your life will change drastically and quickly. So my question to you today when it says he makes it rain on the just and the unjust, what did this message do in your life? Did you get a sprinkling today? He will rain his grace even when we are undeserving. <clears throat> did you get soaked today through what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Like a deeper challenge and gnawing in your heart, some things that you're really contemplating on changing? It means that we, having been sprinkled with His grace, maybe we've heard these messages before, but there's some deeper conviction or excitement setting in, a deeper calling, that now we're soaked, having been sprinkled with His grace, we commit our whole selves. Maybe you're drenched. Maybe you're drenched. We, having been immersed with His grace, become unrecognizable. What happened to you? I don't know what happened. Oh, but I like what I see. Romans 5.1, actually I'm going to give you three things as we close. I leave you with three practical ways to become a peacemaker. Number one, make peace with God. You'll never know peace, not this kind of peace, and you'll never become a peacemaker unless you make peace with God. Understand that you and I are desperately bound to the idea that we are sinners. We commit one sin, we're separated from God. We were born into sin. We can't change that. But he can. He is the ultimate redeemer. And because of his work on the cross, he brought peace to mankind. He reconciled us. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that's our part, is to believe that Jesus is who he is, and he did what he did, and because of that, I can have peace with the Almighty. I can experience the peace of heaven. Make peace with God. Romans 8.6 for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you already know the Lord, then set your mind where it needs to be set. Stop letting the enemy take over your mind with empty and worldly philosophy that adds to the consternation, <clears throat> adds to the stress. Guard this. You need to make peace with others. Romans 12, we already went through it. I encourage you to pick up the book Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. does a great job in that book. It's a big book, but it's a thorough book, and it's a thorough work. And it really will help you resolve tense relationships. Use what <clears throat> you have in the midst of tragedy. There's a story about 
the Christmas truth out of 1914, World War I, that on Christmas Day, there was actually a truce on some parts of the, the uh, front lines in Europe. So much so that soldiers from both sides came out and just hung out in, in no man's land. And they exchanged cigarettes and they exchanged cards. And it says that they even played a football game. And it was an amazing, amazing moment. But what's fascinating about that, so they were peacemakers in the middle of World War I, one of the bloodiest, most tragic wars ever. And yet what happened in the consequential years is that the generals and the leadership heard about it and forbade those individuals to practice being peacemakers. And there was more death and there was more tragedy. And Europe was changed forever because of that war. What about family and friends? Who are you in conflict with? I encourage you, be a peacemaker. Let go of the things that want to cause destruction. Humble yourself, take the pride out of it, and go love on somebody. And it doesn't matter what they've done. Because if Jesus can hang on the cross, he can give you the ability to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus says later in this chapter, and we'll see it, says, love your friends. Great. Even the tax collectors do that. I say, love your enemies. This is hard stuff. But when you choose to be a peacemaker, you transcend your abilities and the Lord gives you the ability to move forward. Matthew 5, 21 through 26 speaks to the idea that God wants us to leave our offering on the altar. Stop acting like everything's great between you and the Lord. Stop pretending when you have horrible conflict between yourself and another individual. That's how important this is to God. That we would take it so seriously that we would heal, we would work towards healing relationship with those around us that, that we're broken with. Now listen to me carefully. There are those that just will refuse, but you can leave them with the impression. You can let them know that you love them no matter what because Christ loves them. And that message of unconditional love can bring peace. Now whether they hold on to it, that's up to them. Remember, Jesus offered that peace to many and they walked away from it he didn't chase after them but they were offered that peace lastly make peace with yourself remember this ambition is the grand enemy of all peace so check yourself remember thy will not my will be done repent Walk away from the things that seek to steal life and peace away from you. And then live with no regrets. Remember, there are those that want to remind you, that want to steal your peace, that want to silence your ability to create peace in your world or around your world. Listen to what Jesus says. This is so freeing. And give so much peace to each individual. Romans 8, 31 through 33, or 35, and I'll close with this. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Oh, except for the person that really screwed up. Oh, except for the person that has sinned for, you know, six times. Six times, that's too many. You're not going to get into heaven having sinned six times. Or if you like the Oakland Raiders, you're out of heaven. You're done. Okay? It's just, that's the way it's going to be. Listen to what he goes on to say. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect or God's people? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. And who is interceding. He is interceding for us. He's going before the Father. Asking and requesting and, and guarding and protecting and guiding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or COVID, or politics, or heat, or lightning? If you're saying I can't have peace because my life is without it, you are the one that truly needs Jesus Christ. And I implore you, seek him desperately because there is a promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you will be a son of God. Do you want the right to be considered in the son of God's club? Then make every effort to love being a peacemaker and respect those who already are. For it's the character of God that's being reflected in you. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you use your words to affect change. For whoever is viewing or the seven or eight people that are here today making this broadcast happen, and even myself, Father, I can do so much more to be a peacemaker. I pray, Father, that these words get in and you stir them in our hearts and that they bring about change. And that we see glorious kingdom results and change lives because of this promise. We truly understand what it means to be blessed. And that we're motivated. We have a desire to move in that direction. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.